a listener production. The word selling kind of feels a bit weird to me because for me it was putting myself in the shoes of the person I was sitting opposite. It's not about what I have, it's about what they need. And they don't know they need it until I explain the product I have. And the other thing is, it doesn't matter what I have, they need to trust me. Mm. And I've always said to my team, if you can't put yourself in the other person's shoes and they don't trust you, it doesn't matter how good your product is. Hey, welcome to the Lady Brains podcast. We're your hosts, Caitlin Judd and Anna McKenzie, co-founders of Lady Brains, a digital and IRL club for female founders and founders-to-be. We're chasing down the most successful female entrepreneurs from around the globe, not only to hear their life story, but to extract their knowledge and world-class insights. If you're curious and ambitious, then Lady Brain, you are in the right place. Get ready for some hard-hitting truths, a dose of inspo, and learnings you can apply right away. Strap in. How do you go from losing everything in your 40s and find the strength to create something from nothing by building a business from the ground up? That's the conversation we're having with scientist, formulator and founder of Synergy Skin, Terry Vinson. Back then, she invested everything she had left into opening her first skin clinic, but it didn't quite take off the way that she hoped it would. But after a lot of hustle and hard work, she now has her own skincare range, manufacturing facility, and she employs over 30 staff. And she's got her sights set on expanding right around the world. We talk about how gut instinct has played a big part in her success, why she believes if you can't let go, you simply won't grow, and how to build a team that works as if they own a stake in your brand. So you started Synergy Skin almost 15 years ago. Yes. Which is incredible. Can you take us back to that moment, that time that you were percolating on this idea? I'll be honest, there was some financial issues in the family. And even though I've never been really motivated by money, I absolutely had to step up. My husband at the time, now my ex-husband, did a couple of really bad financial deals. And I had a, a sort of a, a, I was a contractor for, for medical clinics. I was educating clients on procedures and, and cosmeceuticals at the time. And it wasn't enough. And I had $40,000 saved, which I called my running away money. Little did I know that I was actually going to use it and need it. Anyway, I thought I'm going to open a skin clinic and formulate my own products in that clinic. So I have a memory. I, got, I went into um, my husband's study at the time and I said, I'm opening a skin clinic. And he looked at me and he said, with what money? And I said, with the $40,000 I've saved. And he looked at me like, you are crazy. And I said, you've got to let me do this. I think I can make a go of it. And I really believe in it. And I don't think he had the faith in me. And at the time, you know, we, we were going through some pretty dire situations. So it was a leap of faith. And I had some really good colleagues in the industry who gave me some great advice on where to open the clinic. I also had a fantastic friend in a compounding lab in South Melbourne who's still a friend to this day. And she, she actually made the formulas for me. And uh, I actually sat down in a cafe before I opened my clinic and I thought, what will set me apart from all this white noise and all these brands? Because I had people saying, oh, you're crazy. You're competing with the likes of L'Oreal and Maybelline. And anyway, I thought, okay, what what makes me different? And I thought, I'm a female scientist. Mm. I know this stuff. 
Okay, I know how to make skincare. And I couldn't find what I needed. And I think so many entrepreneurs have a philosophy, well, if I can't find it, I'm going to make it, which is exactly what I did. I was aging, so Mm -hmm. I needed anti-aging. I had a daughter who was becoming a teenager and starting to break out. So I thought, I'm unique. I'm a female scientist. I'm an Australian and I'm a woman who understands the needs of women. Tick, tick, tick. Mm-hmm. And I also had a philosophy that was starting to simmer, which was clean science. It hadn't really been born then, but I knew what I wanted to do and just took that leap. Spent my 40000 renovating a little box in Camberwell that I called Skin Formation Clinic and uh, took off. Actually, no, I didn't take off. I took off inside. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't actually take off. I sat in a little box seat in Camberwell in Cookson Street. If anyone wants to go down that street in Melbourne now, it's, it's, I think it's a Thai massage place. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I looked at the, at Camberwell Station for the first day, not a client. Second mm. day, no clients. Third day, nothing. And I thought, what have I done? Oh, my God. Everyone's right. And all of a sudden a client came and I think I grabbed her by the neck and pulled her in. <laughs> but anyway... <laughs> <laughs> and that's when it started. But anyway. <laughs> so I want to go back to your mindset at that time mm. because obviously, you know, starting a business is a risk and starting a bricks and mortar business that costs $40,000 when you're already in a financial situation yep. that's challenging and you've got kids to support. Mm. Why did you make that decision to start a business? Like what drove you to do that rather than pursuing another path that was more stable and secure? I love the word path. Okay. And this is something that's always resonated with me in my future. So P for passion. I was absolutely passionate about the beauty industry and I'm a complete nerd. <laughs> and ability. I, I knew I was capable of making skincare. So if, you, if you're going to do something, do something you're good at. Mm. Don't, don't chase something that's a trend. Okay. The third of path is the T for tenacity. And my son, who's now 29, describes me as one of the most tenacious women he's ever met. I will never give up. And in fact, my marketing manager says that um, I'm as tenacious as anybody she's ever met. And finally, just hard work and and don't be scared of it. I wasn't scared of working hard. And I I think if, you know, I was a late bloomer. I didn't really start this until I was around 40. Mm. So um, I I think I always had it in me Mm. to do this. And I just, I had a I back myself, I suppose. It was pretty scary, but mm. you have to at some point. Did it take a while for you to be able to back yourself and find that tenacity? Because you, as you said, you know, your husband didn't quite believe in you. Mm. Mm. And when you have the naysayers or people around you that, that are like, oh, yeah, cool, give it a crack or we'll see what happens. Mm. How difficult is that when you're the only one that's like believing in yourself and lighting your own fire? Something in me is if somebody tells me I can't do it, I'll say, watch me, I can. And I won't say, if I really can't do it, I'll go, yeah, you're right. But I had this absolutely overriding urge to make something of being a formulator. And the thing is, I actually did need it. I wanted it. I couldn't Mm. find it. I had girlfriends um, at the gym saying, oh, my skin's breaking out. So I'd have to take them over to the local chemist over the road and get the chemist to make up a salicylic acid in an aqueous cream because I didn't have the the, um, surroundings to make. And this is well before skin formation. So I I was always the 
you know, making an essential oil blend for the local mm. church and things like that. So that was always in me. But you just, it was a leap of faith. faith. And I think fear is a great beginning because after fear, you, you just jump mm. and, and there's nowhere to go. You know, you, you have to make it. So when you were, when you opened the clinic and day one, no one came in, <laughs> day two, no one came in, you're sitting there twiddling your thumbs and then women mm. or, or men started mm. to kind of feel, you know, filter through the door. Where did they come from? Where were they finding out about you? It was, um, in those days, we really didn't have the internet. We didn't have um, influencers. So it was all local word of mouth. And I remember I went to Officeworks and I had hundreds of copies, flyers. I put it, I did letterbox drops with my kids. Oh my God, we traipse everywhere. Um, I used to go to the local hairdressers, the restaurant, Sophia's Pizza and say, can you give somebody 10% off their first treatment? And um, it was the local paper. Mm-hmm. The Progress Press, I think it was called. Oh, oh God, do you remember the Progress that? Press? Oh, no, yes, I'm a Burundara yes, girl. There you go. Yes, yes. There you go. So it was all that sort of stuff, and it was just sheer hard work. Mm. Um, it's funny when now, you know, in the position I am in the business, I'm very privileged, but I really have done every element of 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 the business from from grassroots, and and I wouldn't have it any other way. Mm. So yeah, it was just word of mouth, honestly, and people just started coming, and I think the big turning point was the products. And mm. I knew the products were good, but you don't, I mean, I hadn't done thousands of people market research, but people were coming back and they're saying, what is in this serum? What is it? What's this vitamin B? My skin's changing in two weeks. I was like, oh, okay. And the, and the process was interesting. I would I always believe in empowering people to make the decision for themselves. So I'd actually say, look, finish what you've got. Mm. And then I would recommend you try this product and this product. And they go, no, I want them now. And, and it was like, oh, okay then, <laughs> if you must. <laughs> and and they, were, they literally wanted them then or we'd do an analysis of what was in their products. And I wasn't as in, into fear mongering, but I'm a clean science formulator. So I'd say, look, this ingredient isn't ideal. By the end of the week, I would have a rubbish bin full of other skincare products because they they would want to get the active ingredients and they would want the better ingredients. So it kind of was word of mouth and, and developed organically. Yeah. And were you mixing the potions in the back room? <laughs> like, for your, you know, were you creating the products yourself in the early days? No, no. Okay. And this is really important. I'd do a prototype in a back room, which was the feel, and, yeah. and I would put the active. So I'd buy a very small amount of actives from a supplier, but it was never, I'm such a purist and, and I really believe in the process and, and ISO accreditation. So I'd make the formula on a spreadsheet, write the method, the temperatures, the pH, send that off to Marie, who was at the compounding pharmacy, and then she would make a prototype. It was a lot of toing and froing mm-hmm. back in the day. Get the right prototype and then we'd take the right one to market and then she'd make the, ba- the bulk. She'd fill it for me, so I'd have to, have to, oh, God, I couldn't buy mass quantities of packaging back then, so I'd have to have to find suppliers that would sell me 10 or 15 bottles. Oh. Yeah. And I'd make my, my labels at Office Works. Oh, my God, the memories. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so, and that's how I did it. And, and the products were called Skin Formation. Mm. They weren't called Synergy back then. It was after the clinic. Yeah. And so at what point did you start selling your products into other salons? I remember the day. So I had a really close friend of mine, Lisa, and she now has a cosmetic clinic in Queensland called the Jade Cosmetic Clinic. In fact, she's got three. Um, and she's was and still is a, one of my best friends. And she knew my passion and the fact that I could formulate and she tried my products and she said, I'm going to have your products in my clinic in, in, in Cairns. 
And I went, no, 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 you can't. <laughs> and she said, I'm having them. And I said, I have never, ever sold my products outside of skin formation. You've got to be crazy. What do I know about packaging? What do I know about logistics? What do I know? What do I know? Again, self-doubt, self-doubt. And I was lying in bed one night and she was so adamant anyway. And I thought, well, what have I got to lose? I mean, she's my friend. She'll forgive me if I stuff up. And guess what? I didn't. And that mm. was my first client. And to this day, she is my biggest Queensland client. And uh, she's a dear friend. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Lisa. <laughs> Shout out to Lisa. Yeah, Lisa Price, <laughs> Jay Pens. <laughs> and so did that become a critical part, um, key component of your business, selling your products to other suppliers around yeah, Australia? absolutely. In fact, it was that that gave me the confidence mm. to take it further. I had a real affinity to people who understood the power of evidence-based active ingredients and that meant skin clinics, medical clinics, cosmetic mm. clinics, very, very high-end salons and spas. So I was very selective even then who I supplied to, but I wouldn't, wouldn't put it past me to fill up my bag of products and catch a plane to Canberra and do a presentation with one cool lead because that was an opportunity. So I was the sales rep back then too. <laughs> How did you that. how did you go during that process, you know, because selling can be something that, I mean, all business owners have to do it in some mm. shape or form, but it's something that a lot of women in our community struggle with at times. How did you go about selling, selling into those businesses it's in the a, early days? You know, the word selling kind of feels a bit weird to me because I don't think of myself as a salesperson. In mm. fact, even with my BDMs who are, you know, we call them sales reps, but they're not, they're business development mm. managers. And for me, it was putting myself in the shoes of the person I was sitting opposite. Okay, so what, it's not about what I have, it's about what they need. And they don't know they need it until I explain the product I have. And the other thing is, it doesn't matter what I have, they need to trust me. Mm. And I've always said to my team, if you can't put yourself in the other person's shoes and they don't trust you, it doesn't matter how good your product is. And I remember at the start, I used to sit with a client and, and I'm actually a naturally curious person. So I'd ask them, how did you two meet if they were two, two business owners? What's your favorite treatment? What products do you find work? And I was then able to formulate in my mind what they needed. And so by the end of it, I said, look, this is what I'm thinking. How does that sound? Keep And, and I think letting the clients buy in to to the whole conversation is really important. And even towards the end, even in the order process, um, I would do the order with them. I wouldn't say, blah, 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 you need five of this, three of that, thank you, that'll be $3,000. I'd say, okay, it's your clinic. You know your business. And this is, I even say this now with international clients. What do your clients need? Mm -hmm. Okay, they need pigmentation products more than anti-aging. Okay, let's, let's get most of those. So by the end of it, we'd have an order ready. And I would say to them, and was quite very sincere in this. You don't have to go through this now. Have a look at it and get back to me tomorrow. I'll ring you tomorrow. Let's chat about it. And nine times out of the 10, they'd say, no, we've done it. Take mm. it back and do it. Put it through. And I think it's so important in any process, whether it's the beauty industry, to get your clients to come along on the journey mm. with you. And it's not about selling. It's about mm. empowering them to make those decisions. You've touched on some really important things there. And I love the idea that, you know, you talk about selling um, as business development. You apply that sense of curiosity, which, you know, we both have a yes. strong sense of curiosity, but we also like to sometimes replace selling with serving because at mm. the end of the day, you are trying to help someone overcome some kind of 
problem, yes. trouble, you yes. know, whatever it is they're ex- experiencing. Mm-hmm. And in, in your case, obviously, they need some help with their skincare. So I love that idea of, you know, just being curious and really understanding your customer yeah, and what they need. That's right. And it's, it's, just, it's, it's actually business isn't a complex mm. science. It really is just loving people, understanding people, empathy and logic. Really, I mean, I know it's more than that, but the, but I haven't got a business background. I've got a science background, but I, I love it. I love the world of business. Pretty easy when yeah, you yeah. break it down. <laughs> and that's the end of the show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you don't need to listen. No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we definitely want to dive into product, mm-hmm. but I'm just curious. You mentioned earlier that your brand name in the beginning was Skinformation mm. and it sort of evolved to be Synergy Skin. Can you tell us a little bit about um, brand in the beginning? Did you focus on brand um, heavily? Did you invest in brand heavily or was that something that you sort of chose to focus on after you built the business and the product offer? It's really interesting you say that because we're, it's probably the last two years I've really understood the importance of the brand personality and in the beginning, the brand was kind of a little bit of a mirror of who I was, scientific, quirky, a mm-hmm. um, little bit, um, quite quite educational, and, and it was kind of an evolution of the brand personality. And then my marketing team came on board and we have an amazing graphic designer now, and we started realising you need to have a consistent font, you need to have consistent colours, um, you need to be consistent in the way you deliver your message. So the short answer is back in the day, I didn't understand that because that wasn't my area of expertise. But now I kind of was doing it, but we've really honed it in the last couple of years. And we've got a style guide, even to the point of the colour flowers that we'll use mm-hmm. at a show, they have to be in line with Synergy's colours. So I think it's important because a customer kind of looks at colours or font or something and they'll go, oh, that's synergy. Um, And you don't want to jolt them and jar them, so you keep that message consistent. I think that's important. From a branding perspective, what have you injected into the brand recently that's really resonated with your customers? So I think one of the things we've done more recently is we've carved out a brand, which sounds really weird, but my team talked to me about this about a year ago. They said, I have to create a brand, Terry, and my PR team as well. Um, modern currency do that. So they said, take your brand and separate it from Synergy. And it's actually working really well. Because I'm an educator and a scientist, and I'm really, really into helping people have better skin and making a difference, doesn't necessarily always mean it's going to be my skincare range. It could be a treatment. It could be somebody else's products. Like I'm not going to say I have the best skincare products of every single ingredient of every product in the world. There's products out there that are amazing. So I would rather educate people properly on good skin and be completely brand agnostic. And that's what I've tried to do at a lot of medical conferences. I never mention my brand. Um, My book, I never mention my brand. So it comes from, this is Brand Terry as as a scientist, as a female formulator, and as a skincare expert telling you or informing you what works well. And I'm not pushing my product. So I think the emergence of brand Terry, which I'm still pretty sure I say that. The <laughs> brand, brand Terry. Oh, no, oh, I don't like it. <laughs> anyway, the emergence of a separate brand as me as the educator has really become a big thing in the last year or two. Yeah. So you've recently written a book, Skin Formation. Yes. Is that part of, or is that an extension of brand Terry? In many, many ways, it is an extension of the brand, but 
it was my way of educating people. It's complete again completely agnostic, no mention of the S word, except it's called skin formation. So I was actually paying homage to my clinic that's way started way back when. But Skin Formation, the book, um, was only released last year and it is a skincare guide based on clean science, which was my brand platform. So it's the best of science and nature without questionable ingredients. But it's how to have your best skin. It's lots of different ingredients, it's treatments, it's nutrition, it's demystifying a lot of the the mythology surrounding the skincare market. And it's basically your go-to book on understanding skin. But it was really, really important not to mention a specific skincare brand in it because I wanted even my competitors to be able to say, hey, read Skin Formation, you'll learn about your skin this way. So yeah, it was really important to me. That's fascinating because you don't often hear of brand founders who are building their personal brand completely detached, you know, or mainly detached from mm. their product-based business. Mm. I mean, that's quite unique, but I completely understand where you're coming mm. from in that you, it gives you credibility that you're, you know, not pushing your own agenda, I guess, yeah. but you're just trying to do the best thing by the audience and the customer. And that was all my, always my motivation yeah. from the very beginning was to make a difference to women's and, and men's. And we keep saying that, I hate to say it as a side note, and men's skin, but it's about confidence. And, and you know, sometimes even back in the day at Skin Formation, I would do something in terms of a, of a product. It could even be a, a skincare product for pigmentation but they something else has happened. Maybe it's it stopped them breaking out as much. And it's those things that have changed their self-confidence. It's the thing I wanted to change is not necessarily what they wanted to change. So you've got to be mindful. Again, putting yourself in other people's mm. shoes, it's about their journey. It's about their confidence. And sometimes it's more about how they feel inside than what the product's actually doing. Mm. So as an educator mm. and as a formulator... We'd love to understand the process of creating a new product. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us what that looks like? It's it's a long process. <laughs> and I, and I'm not, I'm the not, short version. Okay, no. the short version. I'm, I'm an impatient person, so I wish it was faster. Back in the day, it was faster, but now mm-hmm. we've got ISO accreditation. And, and this is, you know, since the brand has been taken to market. When I had my little clinic in, in skin formation, it was a lot a lot quicker. But the last, the last 10 years, it takes a long time. So firstly, I see a gap in the market. And that gap may be driven by my clinics. They may be driven by consumers, even social media, or um, a supplier may come to me with an ingredient. And in fact, it's happened. They've said, oh, I've got this ingredient, blah, 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 and it helps to balance the microbiome. And then I've got this other, what? Stop, 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 stop there. So I will pick up on something. And I think women need to trust their instincts. When you feel that something's saying yes inside really strongly, you listen to that voice. So gap in the market or something instinctively. I will get that ingredient and I will do my due diligence on it. So that means look at the data, look at the evidence. So there's two types of data that I look at. Firstly, in vivo and secondly, in vitro. So the in vivo data to me is the really important stuff. And this is when it's done on humans where they see the difference in their skin in terms of pigment or in terms of wrinkles over a period of time with a certain dosage. And that gives me the dosage to use. So I'll always take it up to the maximum dosage. The in vitro data gives you more of the the results in in cell cultures. So that's the data. So then I I verify the ingredient. 
then I say, okay, what am I making? I'm making a serum. Am I making a cleanser? Am I making a moisturizer? What am I making? So then it's not only about the active ingredients. I have to do the supportive ingredient testing. So I have to look at preservatives, thickeners, emulsifiers, the balance, the oils. And then I put that together and usually it'll be a complete failure. (laughs) But that's what I love because all the failures are one step closer to a success. By saying a complete failure, it's, it doesn't, it's not terrible, but you know what? It might not feel amazing or Mm. you might get a slight layer of oil at the top, the emulsifier is not holding, or there might be something I don't love Mm. about it. So um, then we tweak it and usually they're fine tweaks. And sometimes we've done 50 prototypes of a product before we've reached the best. And I'm not going to say perfect because I don't believe in that word, Mm -hmm. the best we can achieve. From that point, then we put it into testing. We do freezing and thawing. We do centrifuging. We put it under heat. We challenge it with bacteria. We really put this little thing through the ringer. (laughs) Oh, my God. And that's called stability (laughs) testing. And that usually takes about nine months. And then we do what's called accelerated stability so we can predict the shelf life. And then we take it to loads of people in the team and their friends and family. And then we hopefully get a good response because if we don't, we have to start over. And um, then we go through the packaging, what's the compatible packaging, the labels, we have to get the labels done, and then the promotion and the marketing calendar. And it is a process. I feel like I need a nap after that. I need a drink, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So from go to woe, like how long are we talking? Mm, um, Maybe one of like your most complex products. One one of the most complex, oh God, probably about 18 months Mm. for a very complex product. And about nine nine months is the fastest we can go. Mm. And that's mm. usually for a simpler formulation. And I think what's interesting about your business is that you own that whole process. Mm. You do all the formulations and testing yourself. You manufacture yourself, which is unusual. I mean, most brands would outsource manufacturing and so mm. forth. Mm. Why have you decided that you wanted to want to own the, the why have you decided that you want to own the process end to end? Vertical integration is really, really important to me for a number of reasons. I It's really seductive to go offshore for so many reasons. Firstly, it's easier because you just give your formula to someone and then they make it. But I want the quality and I, I did have products made before I had my own lab in, in Burwood. I did have products made between the compounding chemist in South Melbourne, who was amazing, and, and the lab. I had them made elsewhere. And I'll be honest, I wasn't happy with the results. There were always variations. So the minute I had everything made on home turf, everything headed north. Mm. And the other thing is you're obviously going to get better margins. If you're Mm. contract manufacturing and you've got control, you buy the raw ingredients, you buy the packaging, you buy the labels, um, the margins are much better as well. So there was a financial reason, but there also for me, it was much more of the having control over the process. And I love seeing everything from start to finish. I'd much rather have everything vertical than than outsource. Can you tell us about the process of creating, building your own manufacturing facility? Um, (laughs) Well, it's one of the things I wish I had have thought through a little bit better because when the GFC hit, I was in skin formation and the the customers were saying to me, we can't afford to have the treatments, we can't afford to have the injectables with your beautiful nurse, but we can't afford not to have your skincare. And I thought, hang on a sec, I am not a beauty therapist, I'm not an injecting nurse, I'm not an operator of laser, I'm not a beauty therapist, So I can't, but I'm a formulator. So I'm here making the products and doing the consults 
and I don't know anything about anything else really. So that was such a light bulb moment for me. So I decided to to set up my own lab, which was great. So I found a lab in of an empty shoebox basically in Burwood, and I built my own lab. So it was very small back then. We're talking about mini centrifuges and five to ten kilo emulsifiers. Now that we've got hundred and two hundred kilos, but it was a, it was a little tiny room, but it was very sterile and it was perfect conditions to do it in. But I had, that was one lab, and we also had the marketing area, which was very small and customer service. Within three years, we'd outgrown it, and that was the first rent was rental. And luckily, we're in a business business park, and Zoe, my operations manager, is amazing and so resourceful. And I said, we need another another uh, site. And luckily, next door came up a different different landlord, but we we're able to knock a hole through the walls, and that became pick and pack. And um, I said to Zoe, we'll be fine for another 10 years. Oh, my God, we are so set. This is going to be great. Three years later, oh, my God, we've run out of room oh again. My. And we could, there was nowhere next door, so we went across the road, didn't we? So we had three landlords, no. three rentals. So over the road was um, my office, the tea room, long-term non-perishable storage, and the other two warehouses were or the, where all the big stuff was. And lo and behold... About two years ago, oh my God, no, we're going to run out of room again. Wow. Especially oh with the overseas gosh. growth. And so we found the site in Melbourne, this massive site, and we went from, you know, we had small machinery. Now we're really, really going to be able to upscale. And we bought, or well, I bought the building. So now I've gone from rentals wow. to owning a big facility. And at the moment, we're in the process of building a new lab. So it's very exciting. That is so exciting. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. I imagine that being able to rent multiple sites and then also buy a new site is a costly mm. exercise. Oh. How have you managed to fund this growth? Okay, two two ways. Firstly, I've always been very careful with my money. In fact, when I first got out on my own, my dad, who is no longer with, with us, but he was the most amazing man, and I thought, first year out teaching, I'm going to rent and I'm going to buy cane furniture because back in the 80s, cane furniture was very cool. Oh, it's back. Oh, yeah. I know. My daughter's <laughs> buying it. And and I got into debt, didn't I? I thought a credit card was, oh, this is funny, just buy stuff. And I was in debt $1,600 and back then that was a lot of money. And I said to my dad, I'm in trouble, help. And he said to me, I'm going to pay your credit card off. You have to pay me back in six months I won't charge you interest, but never do that again. And my God, I learned my lesson. So I am a little bit debt averse from because of my dad. And I was of the mindset that everything, every, every, all the profit, most of the profit I made from Synergy, I was going to put back into the business. Now, it doesn't mean I live frugally. I, I live well. I, I wouldn't say I'm I'm over the top. I'm I'm certainly, you know, live a very sort of normal lady's life in Melbourne. <laughs> but I also was very aware of, of paying my team and reinvesting. So I always reinvested. I did need to take out a loan for buying the premises in Springvale, but thank God the interest rates are so low. It's mm. the best time to buy to buy property. Um, but everything else in the business, even the refurb and creating a lab is funded from Synergy. Wow. So I'm really proud about that. You should be. It's incredible. Yeah. 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 It's impressive. Wow. Do you think that that money mindset has been beneficial or has it held you back in any business scenarios? Mm. Well, you know what, I've, I, I hear about people and, and friends 
going uh, in, you know, go, going public and listing and getting mm. massive capital investment to grow, grow, grow. I, I'm. It's funny. I'm an impatient person, and I love the journey, mm-hmm. but I also believe in organic growth. And and the other thing is, for me, money is something that you shouldn't chase. The faster you chase it, the faster it runs away from you. And and I love what I do so much. And I don't think it's going. I have to make money, of course. It's stupid not to. That's what you do in business. But it, it's not my driver. My mm. driver is the fun of it and the team, and 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 on all those elements mm. and making a difference. Mm. So I think when you take your eye off the main focus of of making money, I I don't know. I don't think I'd have a list. I don't know. I mean, I've seen friends and they love it and they're very <laughs> really successful, um, but. I don't know if it's me. Yeah. I'm happy to grow the way yeah. I am. Well, you, you mentioned before that you were looking at international expansion. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, it, it's already been happening. In fact, <coughs> one of the big turning points of Synergy was when we be when we were stocked in Hong Kong. And in fact, that was my first international client, not that long after I, I started selling to other states. And um, this lady, who's actually also my dear friend now, was very passionate about skincare and about making a difference. In fact, all the successful clients I have now, whether they're large or small, they all share a common passion. It's usually not the money. It's usually mm. the love of, of making mm. a difference. So Erica um, started her, her clinic um, or her sites, her, her sales sites for selling skincare and grew with me. And um, I'm her biggest supplier now of skincare in Hong Kong. And we have a massive business there. And I've been over there many times pre-COVID and her clients are so savvy and they're so into skincare and they're smart as, mm. and we've had events and that's been great. So that was my, in fact, she'd order little orders back in the day when she started. And I remember saying to Zoe, we'd, we'd get an order for like just under $2,000 and, and we'd say, we can eat, we can eat. <laughs> and it was, oh my God. So what are some of the other ways that you or Synergy are expanding or growing? Mm. Where's the direction heading? Uh, well, we've got a few directions. We're really grown with our e-commerce and that happened in the last few years. But we are very much also aware of our stockers. So we're, it's almost like a partnership and I'm, I'm, I've created a model where the stockers benefit from a lot of our e-commerce purchases. For example, we'll give them complimentary treatments back at stockists that, that stock the products. So so we're mm. sending the the purchases back to the clinics. Wow. And and I actually believe in the importance of that physical touch and mm. physical contact. Yeah. Yes, it's important to buy things online. Um, we've also got a great consultation service at Synergy, but nothing beats the experience of going to a qualified therapist and getting that advice and having that treatment and that support. And I think particularly after COVID, when everybody's been locked down, they've been stuck in their houses, they are desperate to get out <laughs> and have that contact. Mm. And these are the people that made Synergy the brand that it is today. And I am going to stand by them always because, because, mm. and they are, they're passionate, professional people. And, and, um, you know, there's always people say, oh, do you ever want to stock in the big department stores? Mm. No, really? no, no. I, I think, I mean, I've, I've, you know, I used to work in my, when I was yeah. at uni and it was great, but you look at the women in the, in the counters and as much as they're great at selling stock, I don't know that they have that expertise and that knowledge yeah. of skin and understanding what that client needs and that specific concern of that client. And mm. I will always back the clinics a hundred percent. 
And and I think that's that's the direction that Synergy goes in and selling directly, obviously, through yeah. e-commerce. Yeah. Is there a level of education that you need to provide to either the stockers or your own customers around the product and how do you go about doing that? Yep, that is so important. I'm really glad you asked that because education is probably the second most important thing for Synergy after the product. So we've got a really strong team of educators. We've got a, a clinical a global educator and this was one of the things I had to let go a few years ago because I can't do everything and I loved <laughs> as the formulating and the education. And um, But I had to let go and I've got the best team now. And we write blogs, all well, I write blogs all the time. We also have ingredient information. We have regular training classes for our stockers. We have master classes. We had over COVID, I said to my team, right, well, where these clinics are closed, what we're going to do now is we're going to make sure that our stockers are beautifully trained. So when they reopen, they're going to be all over how ingredients work on their client's skin. And that worked really well. So we had really high level Zoom masterclasses right through COVID. And the power of education Mm. is so important because if, as I said before, if you, if you explain to the client why this ingredient works on their (laughs) skin and how it's going to work, they're going to come along on the journey with you. If Mm. if you just say, buy this, it's great. It'll get rid of your, your, your acne. Okay. We'll sell 20 other ingredients. What makes yours so special? Mm. Explain it to them, educate them. It's so important. Especially because it's so noisy. It's like, you know, I, I worked in beauty before this and I still don't understand half of, you know, half of the ingredients (laughs) that are on the market and like what the products do. And, you know, it's, you know, a lot more than I do, don't (laughs) I? But it's, it's, it's It's from a customer point of view, it's daunting. It's overwhelming. How do you like manage to break it down into digestible ways that the average Joe, average person can understand? I actually love doing that. I was a teacher for a couple of years. So when, after I did my degree, I did a dip in science. So I taught. I taught science and, and I loved it. I used to love sitting in the classroom and explaining something relatively complex, either chemistry or biology, and seeing the looks on their faces. Oh, I get it. I get it. And I still get that today or I'll be doing a, a, a public speaking event. And what I'll do is I love analogies. Mm-hmm. I always break right. it down into, say, for example, I talk about a protein as a pearl necklace and an amino acid as a pearl in the necklace. So, you know, like a protein's made up of amino acids. So, I always try mm. and make relatable analogies and and I think that's really important. So it's it's pretty easy to break down the content and see again, put yourself in the shoes yeah. of the person you're speaking to. Don't it's, you know, it's I don't want to be that that person that blinds people with science. Yes, I'm a scientist, but it's you can break it down. You it's can. you know, just mm. make it relatable, mm. make it fun. Mm. We um we recently interviewed Flex Mommy and she put a post up online and she said, when in your life, do you feel like an imposter? And so many people replied when I'm trying to buy beauty products. Mm. And it's like, yes, because it is a complex, it, it is a complex scenario trying to understand my skin conditions. Yeah. What do I need? Yeah. And like, you know, you're in this store and you're like, what am I supposed to buy? So this whole idea around educating the customer yes. is critical. And that's why I love the idea of the stockists mm. working, our stockists and our clinic owners and, and, and um, operators working mm. with the customers. Mm. And, and it's, it's a two-way thing. I remember once my daughter had a, a friend who had severe acne and he wouldn't leave the house. It was so oh. bad and he didn't want to come. And I said to him, come to, um, the, come to, skin for, to Synergy at the time, it was after skin formation. And I took him through not only the skincare, 
what he had to do, wash his, wash his face when he came home from school because he was a sporty guy, um, make sure that he, he didn't eat dairy for a little while, no sugar. We talked about all these different elements. It wasn't just the skincare. Mm. And he bought into it. Mm. Now, I could have said, do this, do this, do this, and he would have gone, whatever. But he really understood what he needed to do and his skin changed. And that was one of my biggest, I, I still oh. remember this to the, his dad, the mother could not, his mother could not believe the change and he went out to parties and he changed. Mm. And it was about his confidence. confidence. Yeah. yeah. And it quite often is, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Mm. And, 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 and that came from understanding what he needed to do and the education. Oh, mm. yeah, it's such a good story. Yeah. You mentioned several times that you have a great team behind you oh and, goodness. you know, we can't do it alone. What do you put down to just, you know, being able to maintain a really healthy and successful team? Kindness. Mm. Mm. You know, it's funny. I, again, treat people the way you'd want to be treated and, you know, oh God, I'm not perfect. I have my days where I'm not in the best of moods, but I think to be honest and open and be real, be raw. Also, I now employ, and I made some big mistakes back in the day, I would employ for skill. Mm. And now I employ on cultural fit. So my amazing team will, will find a new team member and they'll do the preliminary interviews. And then often I'll get called in at the last moment to get the final two. And I will ask them this question, what, how would your best friend describe you? Mm. And that's a, I find that really, because yeah. it's not how would you describe yourself, because mm. that's really daunting. If somebody mm. says, what do you think of yourself? How, what would you think your best friend would say about you? And the answers I get usually determine the cultural fit that they'll have with Synergy. And it, it kind of works. I mean, yeah. you have your days, but mm. um, in general, they are so engaged mm. with the brand and, you know, they will try and save Synergy money like it's their own money and... I just love them all. Yeah, I really do. Mm. They're like my kids, some of them too. Aww. <laughs> how, I see them grow up. How have you cultivated that environment? Because that, you know, that sense of your employees taking ownership over the business like it's their own, I mean, that's the dream, but that would have mm. come from you. I think empowerment and I, I delegate so much better than I ever did. I, I used to, I was a mm. terrible delegator in the early days because I had to do everything. And slowly I realized I was not going to grow unless I let go. And I let go bit by bit and I've still held on to, I'm still the formulator to every every percentage of every ingredient, <laughs> but I've let go of so many elements and that's been so liberating to me mm. and I trust them. And I very rarely micromanage. I think for me, if I know... And, and the example of my my accountant who started off doing finance, and this is something I'm so hopeless at. If you show me a spreadsheet, I glaze over in 30 seconds. But just give me the the, the pie chart or the end, the end number and I'm happy. But this girl, Pune, and I'll give her a shout out to her, she started off as my um, accountant and incredibly interested in every part of the business. Like she would do the accounts, but she also, what's happening in marketing and, and what ingredients are arriving today? And how's this getting going by Australia Post? And and I knew there was a time where I have to start to let go of, of managing the entire business and give it to a general manager. And even the t everybody at Synergy was like, it's so obviously Pune. And I said, I want you to be the general manager. And she out. Mm. She's going to kill me hearing this podcast. I'm sorry, <laughs> Pete, but she did, and and um, she she was she had self doubt like we all did, like mm. I I did, 
But I knew with every fibre in my being that she was going to be amazing. And I, and I just, it's like, don't feel scared. You'll be fine. And I've, I've said this to so many of my team that they've, they've freaked out by roles I've given them. But you know, you know when they can do it. Mm. And you've sometimes just got to like, it's like pushing your child in, into a situation where they're scared or first mm. day of kinder. It's like first day of kinder, you'll be fine. Anyway, Pune has flown and she is probably the best general manager of any business anywhere. And oh. I just love her to pieces. Oh, yeah. You mentioned or you said um, before, you won't grow until you let go. Mm. Mm. But I think letting go can be really, really difficult mm. for a lot of business mm. owners, especially in the early days. Mm. Do you have any advice around how to let go, how to delegate well, mm. how to step back? So the big thing for me, if you really need to let go, and I, and I actually did write myself a list of what do I love? What do I absolutely love doing in the business? And keep doing what you absolutely adore. So I love formulating. And at the time, I also love the education side of it. So there were, back about probably five years ago, I couldn't let go of those two elements. What do you hate doing? That's the first thing you get rid of. If you do not like it, do not do it because you will just start resenting the business and some of the people in it. I don't like spreadsheets and numbers and I used to have to deal with my reconciliations back in the day and invoicing and it was a nightmare. So that was the first thing uh, I got rid of. And then things that you're not good at, which is loads of things for me. So you, there are so many things that we can palm off like mm. operations, um, logistics. So I, it was it was like a three, you know, what you love and you can't, don't want to let go of, what you're not good at and what you hate and write yourself a list. And then the stuff you love, you actually have to still cull some of that down the track. And then I had mm -hmm. to cull the education mm -hmm. and give that to someone else. Um, I'm still holding on to the formulating. I don't know. <laughs> holding on tight. Holding on tight. Won't let go of that one. <laughs> so good. So we want to ask a couple more questions just to wrap the conversation up. What, what, what is the best piece of business advice that you can offer our listeners as a way to pay it forward? I think for me, trusting that little voice in your head because so many times when I haven't listened to that little voice and even particularly when hiring people thinking they've got all their skills, why aren't, why aren't you better take them? But then there's, I've made a massive error. The other thing is I've kind of got this ability and I think many women have it of knowing when to do something, when to buy that machine, when to take the plunge and, and take out a loan and buy, buy new premises, when to launch a product. And, you know, I've been in meetings with my team and I've said, look, I don't know why, but I need to do, we need to do this now. And everything in, in me is saying yes. And sometimes it'll be maybe appearing like a crazy decision, but nine times out of 10, it kind of works. And I think I know it's not me. I'm not the special one. I think it's women. And we need to trust our instincts and go with that because when everything in you is saying yes, you've got to do it. Mm. It's interesting. It's like a little bit of gut, a little bit of science. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. Like, and, and as a scientist, I really shouldn't be like, oh, it's, you know, all woo-woo. But it's, <laughs> it's, um, it's actually not. It's, it's, a, it's a thing. And, yeah. and, and, there's, and there's a lot of scientists in me, but there's also a lot of creative spirit. and spirit. Mm -hmm. And I think we, we need to trust that. Brilliant. Love it. What do you know now that you wish you had have known back at the start of your journey? I probably wish I hadn't invested so heavily, this is a specific thing, in the stuff surrounding skin formation, the clinic, 
because I thought I had to create a clinic that had treatments and and machinery and technology. And I wish at the start I had have just focused on what I was good at, which was formulating skincare. I did waste a lot of money on very expensive IPL and laser machines. And the women that, that I that I hired, which are still, well, still friends with me to this day, have gone off and done, the, and done their own business. But I think I should have just started with a clinic doing consultations mm. and skincare rather than all the other stuff because... And again, a big, again, a big life lesson is stick to your knitting, do yes. what you're really good at. Yes. And um, and I was di- too diverse at the start. Yes. Yeah. I love great that. Lesson. Absolutely yeah. great lesson. Mm. Yep. Love that. And finally, this might be a tricky one for you, but <laughs> we always like to give our guests the opportunity to shout out to one person, one lady brain who's helped them on their journey. Who would that be for you? Mm, so many. So many. Oh, gosh. I just seeing all these faces and these people that help me. You know what? I'm just the, I'm just thinking of this woman, Marie, in the mm. compounding lab in South mm. Melbourne because she was so giving of her of what she, she her time and enabled me to make these tiny quantities of skincare. And if she hadn't allowed me to start in a small scale back then, I never would have been able to scale up to where I am now. Look, can I say a few? Like there's Lisa who gave me the confidence to take skincare out of my little skin clinic in, in Camberwell. There was Zoe who started my journey with me. There was Pune who's who's beside me every day. But I think we've we've all got a group of women that mm. we can lean on and we've got to remember that women are amazing. Okay. Mm. And they we need to we need to stay together and we need to build each other up and and just be kind to each other. All right, here's what we took away from this chat. Firstly, you will only be able to grow the business beyond yourself if you learn to delegate tasks. It can be really tough to let go, but if you start off loading little bit by little bit, the process will become easier over time. And bringing others on board to help is an absolute game changer. Trust us. Secondly, Terry shared that while business is definitely hard, it isn't actually a complex science. Building a brand is all about making logical decisions and learning to understand and empathise with others. As founders, we tend to overcomplicate things, but it's important to remember to just keep it simple. And lastly, it's easier to realise our own potential if somebody else sees it in us and pushes us forward, just like Terry does with her team. As a leader, it is your role to be that person for those around you. So who can you go and champion today to help them realise a better tomorrow? That's it from us. Subscribe and leave us a review, hopefully a five-star one with lots of nice words. We love reading them. And come and join us in our Facebook group, The Lady Brains Clubhouse, where we are continuing the conversation. The amazing Terry has kindly offered all of our Lady Brains listeners an opportunity to receive 10% off Synergy Skin. Head to SynergySkin.com, that's S-Y-N-E-R-G-I-E, skin, and enter the code LADYBRAINS, all one word, no dash, at the checkout. This offer is valid until the 30th of September 2021, and some exclusions apply. LADYBRAINS is produced by Beth Gibson, audio production by Nicholas Sitch. Listener.